A Journal of the Plague Year by Daniel Defoe, Episode 9. I have already mentioned the surprise that this judgment was at first among the people. I must be allowed to give some of my observations on the more serious and religious part. Surely never city, at least of this bulk and magnitude, was taken in a condition so perfectly unprepared for such a dreadful visitation. Whether I am to speak of the civil preparations or religious, they were indeed as if they had had no warning, no expectation, no apprehensions, and consequently the least provision imaginable was made for it in a public way. For example, the Lord Mayor and Sheriffs had made no provision as magistrates for the regulations which were to be observed. They had gone into no measures for relief of the poor. The citizens had no public magazines or storehouses for corn or meal for the subsistence of the poor, which, if they had provided themselves, as in such cases is done abroad, many miserable families who were now reduced to the utmost distress would have been relieved, and that in a better manner than now could be done. The stock of the city's money I can say but little to. The Chamber of London was said to be exceeding rich, and it may be concluded that they were so by the vast sums of money issued from thence in the rebuilding the public edifices after the fire of London and in building new works, such as, for the first part, the Guildhall, Blackwell Hall, part of Leadenhall, half the Exchange, the Session House, the Counter, the prisons of Ludgate, Newgate, etc., several of the wharves and stairs and landing places on the river, all which were either burnt down or damaged by the Great Fire of London the next year after the plague and of the second sort, the monument, fleet ditch with its bridges, and the hospital of Bethlehem, or Bedlam, etc. But possibly the managers of the city's credit at that time made more conscience of breaking in upon the orphans' money to show charity to the distressed citizens than the managers in the following years did to beautify the city and re-edify the buildings, though in the first case the losers would have thought their fortunes better bestowed and the public faith of the city have been less subjected to scandal and reproach. It must be acknowledged that the absent citizens, who, though they were fled for safety into the country, were yet greatly interested in the welfare of those who they left behind, forgot not to contribute liberally to the relief of the poor, and large sums were also collected among trading towns in the remotest parts of England, and as I have heard also, the nobility and the gentry in all parts of England took the deplorable condition of the city into their consideration, and sent up large sums of money and charity to the Lord Mayor and Magistrates for the relief of the poor." The king also, as I was told, ordered a thousand pounds a week to be distributed in four parts, one quarter to the city and liberties of Westminster, one quarter or part among the inhabitants of the southern side of the water, one quarter to the liberty and parts within of the city, exclusive of the city within the walls, and one fourth part to the suburbs in the county of Middlesex and the east and north parts of the city, but this latter I only speak of as a report." Certain it is, the greatest part of the poor, or families, who formerly lived by their labor or by retail trade, live now on charity, and had there not been prodigious sums of money given by charitable, well-minded Christians for the support of such, the city could never have subsisted. There were, no question, accounts kept of their charity and of the just distribution of it by the magistrates. But as such multitudes of those very officers died through whose hands it was distributed, and also that, as I have been told, most of the accounts of those things were lost in the great fire which happened in the very next year, and which burnt even the Chamberlain's office and many of their papers, so I could never come at the particular account which I used great endeavors to have seen. It may, however, be a direction in case of the approach of a like visitation, which God keep the city from, I say, it may be of use to observe that by the care of the Lord Mayor and Aldermen at that time in distributing weekly great sums of money for relief of the poor, a multitude of people who would otherwise have perished were relieved and their lives preserved. 
And here let me enter into a brief state of the case of the poor at that time, and what way apprehended from them, from whence may be judged hereafter, what may be expected, if the like distress should come upon the city. At the beginning of the plague, when there was now no more hope, but that the whole city would be visited, when, as I have said, all that had friends or estates in the country retired with their families, and when, indeed, one would have thought the very city itself was running out of the gates, and that there would be nobody left behind, you may be sure from that hour all trade, except such as related to immediate subsistence, was, as it were, at a full stop. This is so lively a case, and contains in it so much of the real condition of the people, that I think I cannot be too particular in it, and therefore I descend to the several arrangements or classes of people who fell into immediate distress upon this occasion. For example, first, all master workmen and manufacturers, especially such as belong to ornament and the less necessary parts of the people's dress, clothes, and furniture for houses, such as ribbon weavers and other weavers, gold and silver lace makers, and gold and silver drawers, seamstresses, milliners, shoemakers, hat makers, and glove makers, also upholsterers, joiners, cabinet makers, looking glass makers, and innumerable trades which depend upon such as these. I say, the master workmen and such stop their work, dismiss their journeymen and workmen, and all their dependents. Second, as merchandising was at a full stop, for very few ships ventured to come up the river, and none at all went out, so all the extraordinary officers of the customs, likewise the watermen, carmen, porters, and all the poor whose labor depended upon the merchants, were at once dismissed and put out of business. Third, all the tradesmen usually employed in building or repairing of houses were at a full stop, for the people were far from wanting to build houses when so many thousand houses were at once stripped of their inhabitants, so that this one article turned all the ordinary workmen of that kind out of business, such as bricklayers, masons, carpenters, joiners, plasterers, painters, glaziers, smiths, plumbers, and all the laborers depending on such. Fourth, as navigation was at a stop, our ships neither coming in or going out as before, so the seamen were all out of employment, and many of them in the last and lowest degree of distress, and with the seamen were all the several tradesmen and workmen belonging to and depending upon the building and fitting out of ships, such as ship carpenters, caulkers, rope makers, dry coopers, sail makers, anchor smiths, and other smiths, block makers, carvers, gunsmiths, ship chandlers, ship carvers, and the like. The masters of those perhaps might live upon their substance, but the traders were universally at a stop, and consequently all their workmen discharged. Add to these that the river was in a manner without boats, and all or most part of the watermen, lightermen, boat-builders, and lighter-builders in like manner idle and laid by. Fifth, all families retrenched their living as much as possible, as well those that fled as those that stayed, so that an innumerable multitude of footmen, servingmen, shopkeepers, journeymen, merchants' bookkeepers, and such sort of people, and especially poor maidservants were turned off and left friendless and helpless without employment and without habitation, and this was really a dismal article. I might be more particular as to this part, but it may suffice to mention in general, all trades being stopped, employment ceased, the labor, and by that the bread of the poor were cut off, and at first, indeed, the cries of the poor were most lamentable to hear, though by the distribution of charity their misery that way was greatly abated. Many, indeed, fled into the countries, but thousands of them, having stayed in London till nothing but desperation sent them away, death overtook them on the road, and they served for no better than the messengers of death, indeed, others carrying the infection along with them, spreading it very unhappily into the remotest parts of the kingdom. 
Many of these were the miserable objects of despair which I have mentioned before, and were removed by the destruction which followed. These might be said to perish not by the infection itself, but by the consequence of it. Indeed, namely, by hunger and distress, and the want of all things, being without lodging, without money, without friends, without means to get their bread, or without any one to give it them. For many of them were without what we call legal settlements, and so could not claim of the parishes, and all the support they had was by application to the magistrates for relief, which relief was, to give the magistrates their due, carefully and cheerfully administered, as they found it necessary." and those that stayed behind never felt the want and distress of that kind which they felt who went away in the manner above noted. Let any one who is acquainted with what multitudes of people get their daily bread in this city by their labor, whether artificers or mere workmen, I say, let any man consider what must be the miserable condition of this town if, on a sudden, they should be all turned out of employment, that labor should cease and wages for work be no more. This was the case with us at that time, and had not the sums of money contributed in charity by well-disposed people of every kind, as well abroad as at home, been prodigiously great, it had not been in the power of the Lord Mayor and Sheriffs to have kept the public peace. Nor were they without apprehensions as it was that desperation should push the people upon tumults and cause them to rifle the houses of rich men and plunder the markets of provisions, in which case the country people, who brought provisions very freely and boldly to town, would have been terrified from coming any more, and the town would have sunk under an unavoidable famine. But the prudence of my Lord Mayor and the Court of Aldermen within the city, and of the Justices of Peace in the outparts was such, and they were supported with money from all parts so well, that the poor people were kept quiet, and their wants everywhere relieved as far as was possible to be done. Two things, besides this, contributed to prevent the mob doing any mischief. One was that really the rich themselves had not laid up stores of provisions in their houses, as indeed they ought to have done, and which if they had been wise enough to have done, and locked themselves entirely up, as some few did, they had perhaps escaped the disease better. But as it appeared they had not, so the mob had no notion of finding stores of provisions there if they had broken in, as it is plain they were sometimes very near doing, and which, if they had, they had finished the ruin of the whole city, for there were no regular troops to have withstood them, nor could the trained bands have been brought together to defend the city, no men being found to bear arms. But the vigilance of the Lord Mayor, and such magistrates as could be had, for some even of the aldermen were dead, and some absent, prevented this, and they did it by the most kind and gentle methods they can think of, as, particularly, by relieving the most desperate with money, and putting others into business, and particularly that employment of watching houses that were infected and shut up. And as the number of these were very great, for it was said there was at one time ten thousand houses shut up, and every house had two watchmen to guard it, that is, one by night and the other by day, this gave opportunity to employ a very great number of poor men at a time. The women and servants that were turned off from their places were likewise employed as nurses to tend the sick in all places, and this took off a very great number of them. And, which, though a melancholy article in itself, yet was a deliverance in its kind, namely the plague which raged in a dreadful manner from the middle of August to the middle of October, carried off in that time thirty or forty thousand of these very people, which had they been left would certainly have been an unsufferable burden by their poverty, that is to say, the whole city could not have supported the expense of them or have provided food for them, and they would in time have been even driven to the necessity of plundering either the city itself or the country adjacent to have subsisted themselves, which would, first or last, have put the whole nation as well as the city into the utmost terror and confusion. 
It was observable then that this calamity of the people made them very humble, for now, for about nine weeks together, there died near a thousand a day, one day with another, even by the account of the weekly bills, which yet I have reason to be assured never gave a full account by many thousands, the confusion being such, and the carts working in the dark when they carried the dead, that in some places no account at all was kept, but they worked on, the clerks and sextons not attending for weeks together and not knowing what numbers they carried. This account is verified by the following bills of mortality. From August 8th to August 15th, of all diseases, 5,319, of the plague, 3,880. From August 15th to August 22nd, of all diseases, 5,568, of the plague, 4,237. From August 22nd to August 29th, of all diseases, 7,496, of the plague, 6,102. From August 29th to September 5th, of all diseases, 8,252, of the plague, 6,988. From September 5th to September 12th, of all diseases, 7,690, of the plague, 6,544. From September 12th to September 19th, of all diseases, 8,297, of the plague, 7,165. From September 19th to September 26th, of all diseases, 6,460, of the plague, 5,533. From September 26th to October 3rd, of all diseases, 5,720, of the plague, 4,929. From October 3rd to October 10th, of all diseases, 5,068, of the plague, 4,227. All told, of all diseases, 59,870, of the plague, 49,705. So that the gross of the people were carried off in these two months, for as the whole number which was brought in to die of the plague was but 68,590, here is 50,000 of them within a trifle in two months, I say 50,000, because as there wants 295 in the number above, so there wants two days of two months in the account of time. Now, when I say that the parish officers did not give in a full account, or were not to be depended upon for their account, let any one but consider how men could be exact in such a time of dreadful distress, and when many of them were taken sick themselves, and perhaps died in the very time when their accounts were to be given in, I mean the parish clerks, besides inferior officers, for though these poor men ventured at all hazards, yet they were far from being exempt from the common calamity, especially if it be true that the parish of Stepney had within the year 116 sextons, gravediggers, and their assistants, that is to say, barriers, bellmen, and drivers of carts for carrying off the dead bodies. Indeed, the work was not of a nature to allow them leisure to take an exact tale of the dead bodies, which were all huddled together in the dark into a pit, which pit or trench no man could come nigh but at the utmost peril. I observed often that in the parishes of Algate and Cripplegate, Whitechapel and Stepney, there was five, six, seven, and eight hundred in a week in the bills, whereas, if we may believe the opinion of those that lived in the city all the time as well as I, there died sometimes two thousand a week in those parishes. And I saw it under the hand of one that made as strict an examination into that part as he could, that there really died an hundred thousand people of the plague in that one year, whereas the bills, the articles of the plague, was but 68,590. If I may be allowed to give my opinion by what I saw with my eyes and heard from other people that were eyewitnesses, 
I do verily believe the same, that is, that there died at least one hundred thousand of the plague only, besides other distempers, and besides those which died in the fields and highways and secret places, out of the compass of the communication, as it was called, and who were not put down in the bills, though they really belonged to the body of the inhabitants. It was known to us all that abundance of poor despairing creatures who had the distemper upon them and were grown stupid or melancholy by their misery, as many were, wandered away into the fields and woods and into secret uncouth places almost anywhere to creep into a bush or hedge and die. The inhabitants of the villages adjacent would in pity carry them food and set it at a distance that they might fetch it if they were able, and sometimes they were not able, and the next time they went they should find the poor wretches lie dead and the food untouched. The number of these miserable objects were many, and I know so many that perished thus and so exactly where, that I believe I could go to the very place and dig their bones up still, for the country people would go and dig a hole at a distance from them, and then, with long poles and hooks at the end of them, drag the bodies into these pits, and then throw the earth in form as far as they could cast it to cover them, taking notice how the wind blew, and so coming on that side which the seamen called to windward, that the scent of the bodies might blow from them, and thus great numbers went out of the world, who were never known or any account of them taken, as well within the bills of mortality as without. This indeed I had in the main only from the relation of others, for I seldom walked into the fields except towards Bednall Green and Hackney, or as hereafter. But when I did walk, I always saw a great many poor wanderers at a distance, but I could know little of their cares, for whether it were in the street or in the fields, if we had seen anybody coming, it was a general method to walk away, yet I believe the account is exactly true. As this puts me upon mentioning my walking the streets and fields, I cannot omit taking notice what a desolate place the city was at that time. The great street I lived in, which is known to be one of the broadest of all the streets of London, I mean of the suburbs as well as the liberties, all the side where the butchers lived, especially without the bars, was more like a green field than a paved street, and the people generally went in the middle with the horses and carts. It is true that the farthest end towards Whitechapel Church was not all paved, but even the part that was paved was full of grass also. But this need not seem strange, since the great streets within the city, such as Leadenhall Street, Bishopsgate Street, Cornhill, and even the Exchange itself had grass growing in them in several places, neither cart or coach were seen in the streets from morning to evening, except some country carts to bring roots and beans or peas, hays and straw to the market, and those but very few compared to what was usual. As for coaches, they were scarce used but to carry sick people to the pest house and to other hospitals, and some few to carry physicians to such places as they thought fit to venture to visit, for really coaches were dangerous things, and people did not care to venture into them, because they did not know who might have been carried in them last, and sick, infected people were, as I have said, ordinarily carried in them to the pest houses, and sometimes people expired in them as they went along. It is true, when the infection came to such a height as I have now mentioned, there were very few physicians which cared to stir abroad to sick houses, and very many of the most eminent of the faculty were dead, as well as the surgeons also, for now it was indeed a dismal time, and for about a month together, not taking any notice of the bills of mortality, I believe there did not die less than 1,500 or 1,700 a day, one day with another. One of the worst days we had in the whole time, as I thought, was in the beginning of September, when indeed good people began to think that God was resolved to make a full end of the people in this miserable city. This was at that time when the plague was fully come into the eastern parishes. The parish of Algate, if I may give my opinion, buried above a thousand a week for two weeks, though the bills did not say so many, 
but it surrounded me at so dismal a rate that there was not a house in twenty uninfected, in the minories and Houndsditch and in those parts of Algate Parish about the butcher row and the alleys over against me. I say in those places death reigned in every corner. Whitechapel Parish was in the same condition, and though much less than the parish I lived in, yet buried near six hundred a week by the bills, and, in my opinion, near twice as many, whole families, and indeed whole streets of families, were swept away together, insomuch that it was frequent for neighbors to call to the bellmen to go to such and such houses and fetch out the people, for that they were all dead. And indeed, the work of removing the dead bodies by carts was now grown so very odious and dangerous that it was complained of that the bearers did not take care to clear such houses where all the inhabitants were dead, but that sometimes the bodies lay several days unburied till the neighboring families were offended with the stench and consequently infected. And this neglect of the officers was such that the church wardens and constables were summoned to look after it, and even the justices of the hamlets were obliged to venture their lives among them to quicken and encourage them, for innumerable of the bearers died of the distemper, infected by the bodies they were obliged to come so near, and had it not been that the number of poor people who wanted employment and wanted bread, as I have said before, was so great that necessity drove them to undertake anything and venture anything, they would never have found people to be employed, and then the bodies of the dead would have lain above ground and have perished and rotted in a dreadful manner. But the magistrates cannot be enough commended in this, that they kept such good order for the burying of the dead, that as fast as any of those they employed to carry off and bury the dead fell sick or died, as was many times the case, they immediately supplied the places with others, which, by reason of the great number of poor that was left out of business as above, was not hard to do. This occasioned that, notwithstanding the infinite number of people which died and were sick almost altogether, yet they were always cleared away and carried off every night, so that it was never to be said of London that the living were not able to bury the dead.